Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Poetry Super Highway Live. It's our monthly show here on Blog Talk Radio, where usually we present an open reading that's open to everyone in the world to call in and read their poetry. But we just launched our 13th annual poetry contest, and today we are deferring to that for our topic for today. And I have on the line with me, and we'll get to them in just a few minutes, the three judges of this year's poetry contest. And we're going to have an opportunity to hear some poetry from them, to find out from them what it is that they're looking for when they read poetry in general, as well as when they're scoring your poems. And if you'd like, you can call in and ask them questions about, uh, well, anything related to poetry, in particular, if you're considering entering the contest. And the number to do that is area code 646-716-7362. My name, by the way, is Rick Lupert. I'm, I don't have an official title, but I'm the guy behind the Poetry Superhighway, or in front of it, or maybe off to the side. I don't know, but that's who I am. Um, a little bit about the contest, and then we'll get to our three judges. So uh, it's a unique contest. The first thing that is kind of unique about it is that if you enter the contest, at least it's worked out this way for the last 12 years, you are just about guaranteed to get some kind of prize just for entering. We have many, many sponsors. There's 30 sponsors this year so far, and we're open to more as a matter of fact, if you have anything that you'd like to donate. And they have donated at this point almost 200 different prizes, which are going to go out to the to every single person who has entered the contest. So when you enter your poems, even if you score in the very last place, you will still get some kind of prize of interest to poets and writers just for entering. So everyone is a winner uh, in, in a way. Um, of course, if you win the contest, if you score in one of the top three positions, then you have the potential to win your share of all of the money that is taken in from the entry fees. So there's a $1 per poem entry fee, which is pretty reasonable, I think. I see a lot of contests for books and things like that where, uh, I don't know, 5 10 $15 reading fee for that kind of thing, or a certain amount, and you can only enter so many poems. And there, there's many great contests out there. This is just a different model. You, it's $1 per poem. Enter as few as one poem, or as many as a gazillion poems. For, well, actually, come to think of it, don't enter that many. That's, that's too many. We, that's, we're not going to be able to fit that into our schedule. It's actually processing that amount. So be reasonable, but enter as many poems that you like. If you're interested in more information on how to enter, go to our website, which is poetrysuperhighway.com. Click on 2010 Contest, and you'll see all the things that you need to do to enter. There's a form that you need to fill out. Uh, once you do that, you'll get the instructions on how to submit your poems and how to also pay the $1 per poem entry fee. So that's it. That's our contest. Uh, I would like to introduce our three judges. Uh, this year, the judges are happen to be the winners of last year's contest. That's another thing that we do. I invite, I always invite the winners of the previous year's contest to be judges. And this year, they all said less. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm kind of Freudian thing there with the word less. Um, but uh, so welcome aboard. Let me introduce them. Uh, who scored in first place in last year's contest? And one of our judges this year is Jim Knowles from Andover, Massachusetts. Hi, Jim. Hey. He's a man of few words. 
Um, good to have you. Good to have you aboard, Jim. Really glad that you could join the contest uh, this year. Um, the woman who scored in second place, who uh, is currently in Charlottesville, Virginia, though I had this vision of her in uh, County Donegal, uh, Ireland, where she spends every other uh, other year currently, is Sean Lindsay. Hi, Sean. Hi, Rick. I appreciate, you know, I, that her name has an unusual spelling, and I, and I, sh I sh should point out, Sean, I really appreciate you telling me how to pronounce it in email earlier in the week to avoid the first uh, of possibly many embarrassing moments uh, in, in this uh, chat. So thank you so much. Thank and you for asking. Our, no problem, no problem. And also uh, the woman who scored in third place in last year's contest, Brenda Levy-Tate, who's in Nova Scotia, Canada. Hi, Brenda. Hi, Rick, and, and everyone listening. Good to hear from you. And good, to have, good to have you with us. Good to have you being heard from, as it were. Uh, Brenda, you Thank actually you. were a judge in a previous contest about four, five years ago. Is that correct? Yes, I was. I was. I placed fourth that year. And um, for some reason, one of the other three couldn't do it. So I got drafted, and I loved it. It was a wonderful experience. So I'm really happy to be able to do it again. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of cool. And every year we've had a different set of judges. I, I guess, except for this year, relative to that year, uh, and and that your poem or your entries scored so high in the contest to get you in fourth place last year out of almost 500 poems, and third, I'm sorry, third place last year and fourth place five years ago. It's really a wonderful tribute to your work that is so accessible uh, and, and, and quality to, to a completely different set of judges. So congratulations and welcome aboard. Thank you very much. My pleasure. So uh, what I'd like, maybe just a general question to all three of you first. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, yourself separate from poetry. Where, uh, where, kind of announce where you live, but maybe what you do outside of the poetry world if you're not uh, you're not per se a uh, a full time poet. Uh, Brenda, how about you go first? Okay. Um, hopefully, can you hear me clearly enough? I can. Yes. Okay, that's great. I live in uh, southwestern Nova Scotia in a very rural area. I live just up, the, up, up, up a dirt road from a, a big power dam complex. So I fall asleep at night to the sound of flowing water, which is nice. I, um, I was a, a teacher. I taught English and drama at high school level for many years. I've retired since then, but I still substitute because I'm you know, crazy. I can't stop teaching. So I love to go back and do that. Um, I like animals. I have three cats, a dog. I have an old horse that I keep at my daughter's place. And um, I love rock hounding, fossil collecting. I, I beachcomb because Nova Scotia has some wonderful fossil sites. And a lot of my poetry makes reference to paleontology, geology, fossils, and so on because I find it fascinating to look at how old the Earth is how far back everything goes and how it's all connected. I also sing. I have a YouTube channel. Um, my username there is, is Phil Harima, which is hard to spell. But if you look up B.J. Tate, you'll find me. And I do sing and uh, read poetry and do videos, photography um, slideshows, because I also like to do photography. So um, I kind of try to dabble in everything. And... Um, 
I wish I could live forever because then I'd find, you know, probably more hobbies to do, but I'm really happy with the ones I've got. And that's a bit about me, I guess. You wish you could live forever. Well, I've thought about that because there's not time. I keep thinking life is finite, you know. I'll give myself, you know, a couple more decades or whatever, and then that's, you know, that's it and whatnot. I'd love to be able to, to live long enough to ex- experiment and do more or come back and try something else because I know there are so many things that I haven't done and can't do, but I guess we all feel that way. No doubt. I, uh, I, I keep looking for a technology uh, via the Internet which will help me as well live forever, and if I come across anything, I will send you an email and, and uh, help you fulfill that uh, goal of having more time to do the things that you want to do. Um, well, well, thank you on board, Brenda. Um, let's see. Thank uh, you. Jim, you're welcome. Uh, Jim, uh, le- how about you? Uh, tell us about yourself. Well, I, I sort of uh, grew up uh, being into sort of things about the Renaissance, and uh, I got into science, and I always kind of ignored my English side, even though the scores were up. And So I got into physics and then engineering, and so I'm on my third engineering career, things being the way they are here in Mass. And um, basically, uh, I was straightening out bids and contracts, and I had a Bell Labs contract administrator a PhD who had my specs on a cork board, and I said, why are they on the cork board? She said, oh, well, you write nice poetry. <laughs> and then I got accused of writing poetry at a forum at one point, and then so my kids kept repeating things I said the day before that I forgot, so I decided I ought to look into this. So I went to a local hoot uh, at the Frost Foundation. This is starting, you know, six, seven years ago, and uh, so that's been more of a hobby now, and it doesn't take up as much t- uh, space as some of the art and architecture that I was into. I was sort of filling up the den in the garage. And so I'm also into art and photography, and I you know, try to keep my blog populated with interesting images and home inventions. So I don't know, probably similar to Brenda, it sounds like, kind of a Renaissance type, always uh, curious and into different things. That's wonderful. I especially already, uh, and enjoyed the idea that uh, you came to poetry because you were accused of, of doing poetry. <laughs> and that's, that's great. Well, it's good to have you aboard, and it certainly seems to have worked out for you as having taken first place in, in last year's contest. But the follow-up question to this one is how you came to poetry. So, Brenda, and after we talk with Sean, I'm going to come back to you on that one as well. And Jim, you just, just covered it. Uh, so, so, Sean, uh, how about you? How, Hi. How did you become a uh, a bi-continental individual. Oh, and well, you know, my my father was in the Air Force, so my mother's British, and I sort of, we went between England and the States every couple of years, every few years. And so, um, yeah, I joined the Air Force myself when I was 20, and just before I turned 21, and I, I loved it because it's all I ever knew, really, just travel and live in different cultures and stuff, and I really, I really love that, so... When I retired, I got ready to retire in 2008, and I took Irish citizenship via my grandfather, who's Irish, and we retired to Ireland. And I was very happy. I love Ireland. My husband loves Ireland. My um, son does, too. But there aren't any jobs there, so he took a job in Charlottesville, Virginia, and so we had to come here. But they deploy him every other year to the Middle East, and so when he's deployed, I get to go home to Ireland. And when he comes back to Charlottesville, I have to be here. So I guess this is kind of my deployment. 
<laughs> I started to say, yeah, it's time to play the Charlottesville. Yeah, woohoo. But anyway. Keeping uh, Virginia safe. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> More like avoiding it. <laughs> you said you're, you're retired. Is that right? You sound, I mean, you don't sound old enough to be retired. Oh, God, I just love you. Now, I'll be 45 in September. I'm plenty old enough to be retired. I, I retired. I was an IT systems administrator uh, for 22 years and 10 days, and I retired in June of 2008. So it's been about two years now. I've been out doing nothing but writing and pursuing my Master of Fine Arts uh, in Creative Writing via National University in California. And so here I am. <laughs> yeah, we were visiting an artist in North Carolina who was retired from the Marines early. And, uh, really? You can really do a lot of explore all sorts of things with a military retirement. That's true, and you have you know it's good to have the military retirement check. I have to admit, but you know it does kind of free you up a little bit for other things. And then of course there's the GI Bill, which pays for the education post retirement. So it's worked out pretty well for me. I have time to write and time to read, and so it's thanks to my husband who works. So it's nice. I like it. That's great. Well, uh, let's 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 continue with you on that on that uh, the follow up question, which is how did you come to the poetry? When you know when did you start with it? I, I know you, you mentioned you're just start start you're going through an MFA right now. Uh, did you re is it a recent thing? No, I started it in September of 2008, and I actually today is the final day of my final class. I've already sent my thesis in for binding, so it's finished. I'm I'm done. I'm pretty happy. But I started actually, I started writing poetry when I was in my early teens, just little things. And, and then I kept, I sort of wrote some during my 20s, but I was in Turkey for, you know, two and a half years and England for four years and the Netherlands for seven and a half. I just really didn't have a lot of time. I, I kind of set it aside for a, a long time. And then when I retired, I, I was able to go back to it. I've always enjoyed it. I love poetry. I love, love rhythm and sound and that kind of thing. So. I finally I've had I've got the opportunity now to really really explore it and start writing some so I've been able to indulge. That's wonderful, great. So okay, so Brenda, how about you? That's the part of the question that we didn't get to. Do how did you come to poetry? Um, well, I don't know if I came to poetry or, or poetry came to me. I wrote when I was young as a teenager, and most of what I wrote then I hesitate to look at now. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Wrote off and on. I, I did uh, one of my uh, majors was English in university, and uh, over the years I was really quite busy teaching English and working with student writers. And of course, I read because to me, if you want to write poetry, you've got to read it. And so I, I read a great deal of poetry and, and enjoyed it. And finally, um, late in in the 1980s. I talked the school board into sending me to a writer's workshop called Maritime uh, Writer's Workshop in New Brunswick, held at the University of New Brunswick, where there have been a, a lot of wonderful poets, actually, who have either uh, taught there or have graduated from there. And it was very inspirational for me to go to that workshop. So at that point, I started submitting two very small competitions, and I got an honorable mention in one, and I was so excited with that honorable mention that I thought, oh, maybe I can start to do this a little more, which I did, and then eventually discovered the Internet and Internet poetry forums, and at present I'm quite active on one called Critical Poet, one called Pen Shells, and some of my work has gone into the Webdoll Fall competition, which is um, IBPC, Interboard Poetry Competition, 
and uh, sometimes they do well, other times they don't, but that's fine. And I've met wonderful people, so it, it's been inspirational to me to just um, be able to teach the students, try to convey to them how wonderful it is to write, and then um, try to put my money where my mouth is and do it myself. So that's that's kind of where I'm where I'm at. I do have one book that was published in 2005 and a chapbook from 2007. And I have another manuscript ready, but it isn't published yet. Wonderful. Well, it's great to learn uh, about all of you. In particular, for, for me, I'm sure it's of interest to the people listening who are considering entering the contest, but I interact with so many people as part of the Poetry Superhighway. Uh, but it's really kind of in a sense, a superficial interaction and email here and there and to be able to have a conversation with people who've been active in the Poetry Superhighway is, is, is special for me, so I'm, I'm just so happy to have you all all here. So before we get into poetry specifically and your, your favorite authors and, and reading poetry and that kind of thing, you all entered and did very well in last year's contest. And I'm wondering if uh, a few questions. Did, do you enter many contests? Um, is there anything in particular about the Poetry Superhighway contest that you would comment on in terms of being uh, different than other contests or, or what you like or even don't like about it? And if you'd like to share what prize you got besides the, uh, the cash prize, that would be great too. Uh, Jim, let's go back to you. Well, I think the most attractive thing to me uh, with the Poetry Superhighway is um, in seeing different contests and things like Best American Poetry, things like that, it, you really get the sense of just one personality picking. Um, and when you have, when I realized all three judges read all of the poems completely, um, then that really gave me a better sense of something would have a wider appeal, you know, uh, rather than just to uh, capture one particular personality. So I, I, I really enjoy the sort of the, the democratic aspect of uh, the PSH. Cool. Uh, and, and I'm glad you feel enough, uh, comfortable enough to use the uh, the abbreviation as well. So a few people uh, <laughs> do that. Uh, uh, Sean, how about you? Um, well, I had subscribed to Poetry Superhighway in early in 2008, and so I, I just, I've enjoyed what, reading the poems every week. And sort of like what Jim said, there's such a, great mix of different styles and different voices, different tones. It's, it's always, you know, I, I, that was the first poetry contest I ever entered, and I, I almost didn't enter because I think I entered it late. But um, I don't know, I just thought I'd take a chance. But I, I like I like PSH. I really, I love it. And I, I read it every week. I love to read different different poets that are on there. It's, it's good that you have it. I'm glad you have it. Me too. It keeps me off the streets on Saturdays and Sundays. So uh, it's, it's a thing. Uh, Brenda, how about you? Well, I like the fact that um, there's a huge variety of writers entering. And when even last year, looking at the three poems that we each created, which were chosen, they're very different. They're very different. And I find with a lot of competitions, there's almost the sameness. There's a sense that there's a certain style or a certain stylistic preference that, you know, if you want to win this competition, you've got to do it this way or this has to be the type of writing you do or whatever. And um, I think with, with uh, Poetry Superhighway that, uh, as Jim said, because we know that there are three judges, all individuals, all with very different backgrounds, all of them writing, uh, reading the poetry separately, 
and each one contributing equally to the results, then there's a good chance that there will be uh, a real disparity among the types of entries that actually do well. I, I think that's extremely exciting. And also the fact that um, everyone gets something is, is encouraged because not everyone's going to win. And there will be people who are just starting, people who are kind of in the middle, um, people who've written a great deal. I think that's amazing that they will all throw their head into the ring because it's a huge step when you hit that button that says submit. That's an, a daunting step. And I applaud people who take it, even if they um, you know, maybe don't win a major prize. I think they're, they're, they deserve a huge round of applause for that. I don't enter a lot of competitions. I entered quite a few earlier, and I found the fees so daunting that I was always broke. So um, eventually I thought, no, I'm not going to do this. This is stupid. I'm going to be assessed by one person who may get my work or who may not, and I'd rather leave that up to um, an audience of readers if, if I print something, you know, on on a uh, poetry site or in a blog or whatever, to me that's a, a better, more valid criterion than maybe one judge who may or may not like me. So this gives a chance to to have that spectrum. I, I think it's wonderful. It really is a spectrum, and I, I'm always intrigued by the scores as they come in. Cause I, I'm basically the only one who sees the different scores from the three different judges, and, and, the, and they really are varied. You know, the various poems that come in do very well with certain judges and not so well with others, and it's, you know, uh, and then sometimes, you know, I, I'm kind of looking at poems and, and two sets of scores will come in that score very high and think, wow, this poem's going to do so well, and then the third one will come in and it's just, you know, nowhere near the other scores, and I think, okay, well, so I think you all kind of hit on on, on the key aspect of, of the, the judging component in terms of the the, the wide spectrum of sensibilities among the three judges that really give, I think, an equal or a better chance to any particular poem or entry to be received well by at least someone on board. So I'm, I'm glad that, that you guys uh, noticed that and appreciate that. Does anyone want to mention what uh, a prize that they got in a previous year's contest? That you remember? Ah, uh, what do you mean, the money and such? <laughs> No, no, not the money. Uh, as the winners, uh, you, of course, all got money uh, divided up uh, among the three top-scoring poems. The first-place winner gets 50% of the money taken in. Second place gets 30%. Third place gets 20%. By the way, I should mention, one of our sponsors donated $500, which is going to be added to that prize pot. So, awesome. Um, Wow. Yeah, so oh, that's wonderful. Whoever, Excellent. Whoever wins, wins, and we average about 500 poems a year. So let's say we got 500 poems. Whoever wins is going to get double the money that they would have would have gotten. Unless, of course, someone does enter a gazillion poems. Uh, in which case, <laughs> actually, the prize would be much higher, I, I, I guess. But anyway, no, they, you know, there's sort of a random distribution of all of these other prizes that, that get donated. Is there something that that you received, uh, any of you that you would thought was kind of cool or interesting? Oh, the feature in Ren Furley was awesome. That was good. You got like oh, a feature true. set in um, right. Ren Furley Review. And that, that came in a little bit late, but it turns out another bigger thing that I was featured in, the journal folded. So that was especially good. I <laughs> got Ren Furley huh. Review. 
Excellent. Do, do either of you, uh, Brenda or Sean, do you remember what something that you won? I'm putting oh, right. you on the spot. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Well, the Poetry, poetry Superhighway was the first contest I ever entered, so, you know, the prize that I won last year. Yeah, and you're probably going to kill me, and I know this is really bad, but I was sort of, I left Ireland shortly after that, and I honestly don't remember what, I, I was in transit, and I, I just, I wish I could remember what it was. I'm sorry, forgive me, please. No, that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm putting both of you guys on the spot to remember something okay. that might have come in, you know, on top of you having won, won the contest, uh, and I assure you I will not kill you. <laughs> please, probably, please forgive probably. me, you know. We'll see. Okay, Brenda, do you happen to remember? Yes. Oh, go ahead. Well, uh, last year I won a, a little collection, kind of like a chapbook, from a group of writers in New York City. And they were just, you know, amateur poets who got together and uh, basically, I think it was annually, put, put together a little book of their work and um, donated copy or two to your competition. And I was really fortunate enough to get it, and I got a nice email. And I wrote to them and thanked them. got a really nice email back, and they told me about the uh, the group. I think it was called the Brooklyn Bridge or Brooklyn Bridge Street Writers, something like that. And it was a delightful book. And uh, the year before that, I got a chapbook from a woman um, out west, and uh she was a lovely person as well and, and written some marvelous things, and I, I actually wrote to her and thanked her. That's part of the beauty of this, getting the chapbooks, is you can write and say thank you, and usually they'll write back, and you find you meet interesting people that way. So I found that that was really uh, a, a plus for me. Plus, of course, the money was nice last year as well, but I enjoyed just the contact and knowing that there were real writers out there who cared enough to give me something that was from them, and that, that meant a great deal. That's great, and that really kind of hits on the mission of the Poetry Superhighway, which is to expose as many people to as many other people's poetry as possible, so that's, that's wonderful. All right, wow, almost a half an hour has gone by, uh, and we haven't gotten to your poetry or your thoughts on poetry yet, so we, we're going to do that now. I, I asked each of you to pick a poem by a, a favorite poet and, and read that, so I guess we'll, we'll go through the three of you and ask you to tell us why you picked that poem and that author and, and to read that poem. Uh, Let's see, Sean, I think it's your turn to go first. Okay, my favorite poet, my, well, my very favorite poet is W.B. Yeats. Probably not surprising since he's Irish, but I just love the way he writes. And my favorite poem of his is called The Hosting of the She. And um, it goes, The host is writing from Nakhnaray and over the grave of Kayak Nabar, Kielcha tossing his burning hair and Neve calling, Away, come away. Empty your heart of its mortal dream. The winds awaken. The leaves whirl round. Our cheeks are pale. Our hair is unbound. Our breasts are heaving. Our eyes are agleam. Our arms are waving. Our lips are apart. And if any gaze on our rushing band, we come between him and the deed of his hand. We come between him and the hope of his heart. The host is rushing twixt night and day. And where is there hope or deed is fair? Kielcher tossing his burning hair and Neve calling, away, come away. I love that poem. I actually named my nine-year-old Kielcha after <laughs> that poem. What? Tell us the name again. It's called The Hosting of the She by W.B. Yates. The name of your son, right? Oh, Kilcha. 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 Right. Okay, and tell us, can you, can you go into what, what you like about that poem, or besides that uh, Yates is from Ireland? 
I like, I think the best thing I like about Yeats is that his poetry has structure. I'm very attracted to structure. And I like that this poem has a great structure and the alliteration is great. The, the, the vowel sounds, the consonants, the flow, the rhythm, the tempo, the meter, all of it's very musical. Uh, that's what I like. Well, so are you, do you lean more towards poetry with, with a structure, would you think? I do, and it doesn't need to be, I'm, I'm not interested so much in form, like the form of the, like a, whether it's a sestina or anything else like that, but I just love structure. I, you know, it's, it's one thing to write down, and I know a lot of people write from catharsis, you know, they, to, because they're, they write from a place of pain, and, but I think poetry needs perspective. I think, you know, maybe set it aside for a while and come back, because word choice is important, and I think word choice helps contribute to structure. It gives it something to stand on rather than just sort of, you know, everywhere. One, one might say that word choice could be the most important thing in a poem. Absolutely. Uh, you know, right. Ezra, Pound, Ezra Pound also, he said that. That was one of the, in his retrospective that he mentioned, don't use any superfluous words. And he's right. He's right. All right. Um, wonderful. Uh, Brenda, how about you? What, what do you have for us? Okay. Okay. Uh, Probably my favorite poet is Dylan Thomas. I absolutely love his work. And um, so I'm going to read Fern Hill by him. Now as as I was young and easy under the apple boughs, about the lilting house and happy as the grass was green, the night above the dingle starry, time let me hail and climb, golden in the heydays of his eyes, and honored among wagons, I was prince of the apple towns, and once below a time I lordly had the trees and leaves trail with daisies and barley down the rivers of the windfall light. And as I was green and carefree, famous among the barns, about the happy yard and singing as the farm was home, in the sun that is young once only, time let me play and be golden in the mercy of his means, and green and golden I was huntsman and herdsman. The cobs sang to my horn, the foxes on the hills barked clear and cold, and the Sabbath rang slowly in the pebbles of the holy streams. All the sun long it was running, it was lovely, the hayfields high as the house, the tunes from the chimneys, it was air and playing, lovely and watery, and fire green as grass, and nightly under the simple stars, as I rode to sleep, the owls were bearing the farm away, all the moon long I heard, blessed among stables, the night jars, playing with the ricks, and the horses flashing into the dark, and then to awake, and the farm, like a wanderer, white with the dew, come back, the cock on his shoulder, it was all shining, it was Adam and Maiden, the sky gathered again, and the sun grew round that very day, so it must have been, after the birth of the simple light, in the first spinning place, the spellbound horses walking warm out of the whinnying green stable, onto the fields of praise, and honored among foxes and pheasants by the gay house, under the new-made clouds, and happy as the heart was long, in the sun, born over and over, I ran my heedless ways, my wishes raced through the house-high hay, and nothing I cared at my sky-blue trades that time allows in all his tuneful turning, so few and such morning songs, before the children, green and golden, follow him out of grace, 
Nothing I cared. In the lamb-white days, the time would take me up to the swallow-thronged loft by the shadow of my hand, in the moon that is always rising, nor that riding to sleep. I should hear him fly with the high fields, and wake to the farm, forever fled from this childless land. Oh, as I was young and easy in the mercy of his means, time held me green and dying, though I sang in my chains like the sea. Well read, Brenda. Do you, do you participate in readings in your own community? Not very often, but sometimes I do. Um, there's a, a writer's group in, in our community, a small group of us, because it's not a big community, called Write Away, W-R-I-T-E, hyphen away. And we sometimes read our own work at the library, and then we do a collaboration with visual artists, and the artist will do a painting, and we'll do a poem that um, kind of matches the painting, or vice versa. And I'll read then, but otherwise, no, I don't. I, I read on my YouTube, and that's about it. Well, you're a natural, I should say. So why why this particular poem by this particular poet? Oh, because it's so lyrical. Um, the imagery is so vivid, and there's just something there that is, is, is very rhythmic. And I, I'm very um, taken by cadence in poetry because it, it has to sing to me. It has to be something other than prose. It has to sound um, with a certain musicality, I guess you'd say. Uh, even if it's experimental, if it's an experimental poem, obviously it's not going to sound particularly maybe lyrical, but there's going to have to be even a, a sense of dissonance or contrapuntal ideas or uh, contrast or something. And also he has such wonderful control of his diction and the syntax and um, the imagery all coheres so that over and over you get the imagery of the barn and the hay and the trees and, and uh, the children growing through this and eventually growing out of this. And in the end, he sees sort of adulthood and time taking him into the loft, so the barn metaphor goes right to the very end of the poem. And then it's very surprising. And I love a surprising ending. To me, if you want to really sell me, surprise me at the ending, he speaks about time holding him green and dying, though I sang in my chains like the sea. And he moves away from the greenery of the fields and the green and golden farmland to the sea, which is also green, but very, very different. And, and probably rather terrifying to a, a man who is a person on on land. So I, I do appreciate this, this sort of surprise, the unexpectedness there. Great. Well, uh, very well read, and thanks for the uh, insights and why you picked it as well. And um, Jim, how about you? Um, what was it, General? Just a poet, or a bunch of them, and then a poet? I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, well, I, I asked you to take a poem by, okay. by another poet, so, uh, I mean... So I can concentrate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, um, there's a, all kinds of them that uh, I'm into, and but for singular poems, it's kind of like the Norway piece some people sample music. But one that really struck me uh, lately was from back in 1987, uh, Rita Dove, and where you can really see the style germinating. Um, it's uh, called Straw Hat. In the city, under the sawtoothed leaves of an oak, overlooking the tracks, he sits out the last minutes before dawn, lucky to sleep third shift. Years before he was anything, he lay on so many kinds of grass, under stars, the moon's bald eye opposing. He used to sleep like a glass of water, 
held up in the hand of a very young girl. Then he learned he wasn't perfect, that no one was perfect. So he made his way north, under the bland roof of a tent, too small for even his lean body. The mattress ticking he shares in the work barracks is brown and smells with the sweat of two other men. One of them chews snuff. He's never met either. To him, work is a narrow grief, and the music afterwards is like a woman reaching into his chest to spread it around. When he sings, he closes his eyes. He never knows when she'll be coming. But when she leaves, he always tips his hat. Very nice and very different from the other two poems that were, were selected as well, which is which is wonderful. I, I think that to have these three different sensibilities on our judging team this year is is great. Um, any uh, any other comments on that poem? Why you well, I think one thing uh, that they share is just just the epicness in everyday existence and and just the momentum of the poem as it as it moves you know to have a flow to it and um i i kind of like things that have a step in here or a step in the past and a step beyond so there's a lot of there are hypnagogic visions there's this uh grisly existence and and this sort of almost a hallucination a dream that keeps visiting this guy i lived in a car for several weeks once so <laughs> i can kind of relate to the escape so I guess that's sort of a, this part of a poem that leads you is, is something that sends you beyond. And certainly Dylan Thomas is just the power of it sort of propels you, sort of like Blake. Great. All right. Well, we're going to move now to your poems. I also ask you guys to pick a poem of your own to read as kind of a, a, an example of, uh, I guess, putting your money where your mouth was. If, if you're going to judge these poems, you know, let's, let's share an example of your poetry. Of course, people can read your work. It was posted uh, this past week on Poetry Super Highway as Poets of the Week, and, and there are uh, samples from all of you. And, of course, you were, uh, the people can also read your, your winning poems from last year's contest by clicking on Past Poets Archive from, uh, I guess, October of last year to read those as, as well. But uh, let's hear in your own voice one of, one of your own poems. So, Hmm, who should go first this time? Uh, Brenda, how about you? Okay, um, I'm going to read Carol for the Brokenhearted, which is um, one of the poems that I had submitted that I think came forth. So it was one of the Close But No Cigar ones a couple of years ago. And since then it's been published in a small anthology, a lovely anthology, um, called Lilith, which is um, done by a, a, a small press called Fortunate Child. And um, it's actually not a small, it's, it's hundred and some pages. So it's a lovely collection. And uh, I was nominated for a Pushcart Prize for the poem. So I'm going to read that. It's called Carol for the Brokenhearted. Can you hear the whole sky ringing? I watch you stumble under its alleluia bell. Your bare feet string a dozen prints like pearls across the December grass. These souls are your only stars, girl. Hours, days, years, every last wound you'll ever endure. Catch in the silty net you drag behind. Sounds, mermaids, moths, or seraphites. 
your uncombed dreams pour down your face, white as salt. Listen, the sea is shifting in sleep. It's Christmas, and you are unparented again. We both wait in this empty inn-yard. A few stray gods quarrel behind a curtain. Since they have been replaced, no doubt they can discount one more failed prayer, one more Gloria in excelsis. A feather zags its way to earth. This is only an owl's trick, girl. If you pick it up, you will be lost. Can't you feel the darkness gathering itself? Midnight snaps shut, a padlock against hope. Tomorrow is ordinary, as you must surely expect by this time. Come into the pub light, where a solitary barman offers decent ale and music for all the bruised people. We are among them, we whose homes and lovers have blown like scarves over the world's edge. Here's to absent friends, someone says. I lift a mug. Foam spatters my right hand. A nearby church peals one o'clock, and I almost believe in something. Then I look down at the tabletop, reflecting your face. Its eyes turn to knot holes, beaten into the wood. Its mouth is the crack under a door. You've damned me, girl, with a feather saved from dirt. Now you wear it in your hair. Thank you very much. I'm really kind of a surrealistic writer at times, and that was one of my more surrealistic pieces. Well, I'm a, I'm a fan of the surreal, so I enjoyed that, and the, the last image in particular. Um, so well done. Uh, let's see, Sean, how about you? What, what do you got for us? Um, I think one of my favorite ones is called Irishman. I'm not sure if that was on the page or not. Um, but anyway, so it's called Irishman. They're monoliths, these Irishmen, out painting faces, fences and sheds in the rain, shearing sheep by the dozen, workhorses of men, and the jeans. It's an absolute island of gorgeous, all dark hair and muscle crossing the street, <coughs> lifting stones, hauling coal from the shop to my car. I came for the weather and stayed for the views. My landlord comes over to tidy the garden and squats in his paint-spattered overalls over the daisies. He gently arranges the soil in small heaps, straightens each tender stalk one by one. He's built like a runner, this builder. I've seen him haul mowers and stones, but today I see delicate petals turn softly in rough, calloused hands. That's it. You don't find the uh, the uh, men in, in Charlottesville to be the same as the Irishmen? <laughs> I don't even look at the men here. Sorry to say. I'm not outside enough to look at the men here. That's funny. Is your husband, when you're in Ireland, does your husband take issue with that poem? Or is, is, uh, is no. No, no, he's all right. I, he, we're, all, we're friends with our landlord, so it was just, it's just an observation that I happened to notice because the Irishmen, there's a lot of physical labor that goes on all the time. They're always doing something physical, always out painting the, you know, painting sheds or fences or mowing or just all kinds of things and we live next door to a farm whereas here we're kind of you know back in the woods and just there's nothing here so nothing to look at anyway no one in Los Angeles without painting sheds so it's, uh, I, I see the full uh, yeah. of men painting their sheds uh, on a regular basis uh, in Ireland <laughs> very, very fun thank you thanks for reading that for us um, alright Jim let's hear your poem um well, I'll ask some indulgence in uh, doing it sounding in a sort of a awkward Alec Guinness thing, but that's one of the persona that I sort of write in. Uh, 
um, sort of halfway between uh, Zhivago and uh, Star Wars. Um, this is Titania, Dune's little Tanya, are a distant notion where we are, just looking out over the snow. We would need to ride the rails and waves and walk the dust to get there. If we went there, do you think we would be any more lost to our world than we are now? Ours is the aridity of silence, that endless sponge we fill with our naive confessions, with our wind-scattered eloquence. Go to the window, child song. The dunes of winter carry tales fully as well as the desert, dear Tanya. And if we speak to them together, perhaps they'll bring us passage over the world's waves and sands. And any of them will tell you in their soft but ominous way that on one way, from one place to another, you will need imagination to fill the gasping voids between. Jim, that was quite a com- competent uh, Alex Guinness. I, I was ready to, <laughs> to pack up and move to the Diego bus system after having heard it. Uh, <laughs> I'll be out in the desert. <laughs> I don't think I have a desert on that planet, but that's uh, that's great. Uh, wonderful, wonderful to hear that that piece. Um, and, and again, from all of these very different pieces, uh, and and I just I, I think anyone considering entering the contest. Uh, no, I guess one of the things that I sort of promoted this conversation was is, is hear the poems from our, our judges and, and get a sense of, of what kind of poems you should enter. And it, and it really is kind of up in the air. You know, I think if someone writes quality poems, you're, it's going to be read with a, a thoughtful eye and a, and a sensibility that will probably appreciate it. So thank you guys so much for, for sharing your pieces. So, so let's see, before we uh, ask some more uh, specifics about what you're looking for in poetry, I want to mention again that if anyone has any questions for our judges, that uh, feel free to ask it in any of the following ways. You can call in 646-716-7362 and speak directly to the three of them. Or if you'd like, you can go into the chat room and ask a question there, which I could then relay to the three of them. Uh, Or also you can uh, send an instant message to me on uh, either Facebook uh, or on uh, AIM Instant Message, my screen name is Rick Poet. And if you're on Facebook listening to this, you're probably already a friend of mine and can see me and, and, and send a question that way. So feel free, uh, if you have anything specific that I might not be asking or that might not come up, feel free to ask it in any number of those ways. Uh, one uh, just logistic question I saw asked in the chat room was can uh, previous year's entries be uh, entered? Are they eligible? And I I guess I'd be interested in your thoughts on that, but technically, yes, it's a, it's a completely different group of judges who could be reading these poems, so they won't recognize them. I guess the key in choosing, uh, the logistical key to choosing what poems you should enter are, I would hope you would enter poems that our judges probably wouldn't recognize from somewhere else. And these are people who read poetry on the internet and in different things, and if you're entering something that appeared online somewhere uh, or is on your own website or, or maybe that won another contest, it's, it's a much better chance that one of our judges might recognize that and it theoretically could uh, unfairly sway their scoring process in, in, I suppose, in either direction, but probably not in a good one. So we should really 
uh, think about that when you're considering entering your poems. But uh, uh, if you want to try entering poems that you entered previously in the, in, in, in the contest, uh, probably that's okay. Uh, uh, in, in least in that our current judges probably haven't haven't read those poems. So about 60 paid entries have come in so far. Uh, paid meaning uh, those are the ones that I've sent on to the judges. Uh, by the way, the, the, the poems are sent on to the judges blindly, meaning with your name removed. That doesn't mean that I poke the eyes of the judges out. So they are only going to see your work and not your your name, so it's really very fairly uh, judges, judged, I wanted to mention that. But the, for the, the 50 or so poems that have come in so far, do, do you all have any comments on what you've seen uh, generally or specifically on, on, or really anything at all? A very open question. Uh, uh, Jim, how about you? Um, I think they all have a certain spirit. I've, I've seen just once uh, a slush pile for publication, and, and these seem to have a lot of sort of energy and play to them. Um, I would say probably because a lot of them are early. Um, there have been some that are obviously very well developed, um, but uh, some of them I'd say uh, let it ripen, <laughs> give it a little time. Um, you know, but I appreciate the enthusiasm though. Very nicely said, um, Sean. How about you? Yeah, I like Jim. He, development definitely. Is, there's been there have been some that are just really good, really really excellent poems. And then, you know, I would say definitely get some. Maybe it's good to let things kind of stew for a little while. You know, just and word choice. I would say attention attention to to word choice and attention to tone and that sort of thing is it's kind of important. It, poems kind of need to grow and they. Yeah, sometimes the first thing I write is not actually what winds up later. You know, there's all, there are always revisions, and you know, I, I would say definitely pay attention to tone and and words. Uh, very good. Sorry. Words are important in poems. Um, Brenda, how about you? <laughs> well, I, I agree with both. That um, yes, let something sit. And eventually, sometimes, you'll find that a word that's in there doesn't have any purpose. It's not serving any role at all. And if the, every word is not working, take out the ones that aren't working. Because I, I did notice a few where there could have been some trimming, and this all goes into the revision process. And, I mean, people don't need to, to enter you know, immediately when they get everything ready. There is time. So allow time to see if everything that's in that poem is doing exactly what you want it to do before um, you sort of commit it down to to uh, sort of the final version. I, I change my poetry quite often between the time I first write it and the time I let someone else read it. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Even though it's your baby, don't be afraid to take your baby and uh, reshape it. You know, It won't hurt the baby. It will probably make it help be helpful. Um, a strong sense of original voice is what I really look for. If I sense that a poem is more derivative of someone else, that you really love this writer and you'd like to sound like this writer, um, or that there's just a lot there that I've heard many, many times before, then I don't get a strong enough sense, perhaps, of the individual. I love to hear that original voice. And when that comes through, it's amazing. It, it will sort of knock me right off my chair. If I get a true sense of 
the speaker as a as an individual, not necessarily the poet, because the poet may not be the speaker. The poet may have created a persona who is speaking, but there's always going to be that authenticity there and the originality and the original voice, and that really does it for me when I hear that. And then all of the other things will flow. Diction, syntax, punctuation. Pay attention to punctuation, mm-hmm. because there have been a couple where there were some edits that maybe needed to be done and weren't. Um, very simple to do these things, but just read. Be very, be merciless with your work, and then uh, you know we won't have to worry about things like a misplaced comma or an apostrophe missing or whatever, because those all those are all part of the overall effect. And if you've got a brilliant poem, and you've misused uh, even say your and you are, uh, or left out an apostrophe and it's, it immediately leaves a tiny little sort of freckle on the poem that. Um, We'll notice. So be, be very careful to proofread. But I've been really pleased with the enthusiasm too. I agree. There's lots of energy, lots of spirit. That's great. I, uh, you know, you're actually getting to the next question of the, the beyond the entries that you've received so far. What what kinds of things are you looking for when you read the poems in in general? Uh, do you know are there specific things that contribute to your point? Your point allocation going up and down. By the way, in case I, I guess I haven't mentioned this yet, but poems are scored between zero and five points using quarter point intervals. So uh, um, maybe we can get uh, Jim and Sean your comments on, on those kind of specifics as well. Uh, Jim, go ahead. Well, I'm really looking to get lost in the poem, and sometimes it happens almost immediately. And and there's that, there's that entrainment of the persona that that actually makes it easier to write too. You know, once you're, if in other words, if if you want to possess someone, it's important that you be possessed first. Um, and also, I uh, you know that sense that I sort of mentioned too that there's a step in what I know, uh, one foot in what I know and one foot beyond. That's that sort of leadership. You're showing me something I haven't seen, and a. a a judge uh, in the Frost comp- competition was talking a few years ago. He said uh, there are a lot of people who have things they want to say, um, but uh, when you really get surprised is when somebody says something that needs saying uh, that hasn't been said yet. That that would be a really big one. Nice. That's uh, well put as well, Sean. Uh, what do you have? Well, I was just thinking of Billy Collins. I don't, I'm sure you're all familiar with Billy Collins, but the, his poetry does something that I really like, and he sort of turns things almost inside out. It's kind of like convex. Like he, we may all see one thing one way, but he presents it in a completely different way that you know I probably have never really thought of before, and that's what I like. I like to be surprised, kind of interested. And it may have been said a thousand times before, but if you say it differently, if you say it in a way that I haven't heard before or that I haven't seen before or thought of, that's going to catch my attention. That's, I find that really interesting. To me, that's one hallmark of a, a really good poem as a different, you know, a different perspective. Yeah. I love Billy Collins. Glad you brought, brought him up. Uh, so one thing that was said uh, by uh, all of you was the idea of letting, letting it sit and, and you know, maybe the, the editing process. Uh, one thing that I go back to sometimes uh, is, is, is Alan Ginsberg's comment on first thought, best thought. And I'm wondering if, if you guys have any 
thoughts on that? Is, is it ever okay not to edit? Uh, does that ever work for any of you? Well, some people um, really don't like it, and it, it might be because they don't have a lot of internally, they don't have a lot of ideas to work with, so they're afraid, but I don't know. I think you can recover. It's like, you know, how you can write music in a bunch of different styles. I don't think the bass poem ever goes away from you. So it's okay to try. You can leave the other copies there. Well, and Alan, get, get, sorry. sorry. No, go Alan Ginsberg is good at he, stream of consciousness, too. He's, that's another style of poetry that's also very fascinating. You know, he, and I think when you're, if you're going to write free verse, that's a good, you know, a good way to present it, stream of consciousness, and I think that's how he gets away with, with that first thought idea, rather than having to go back and revise, as you would in a more traditional format. Sorry. Makes sense. Fair enough. Uh, and no need to apologize, uh, by the way. Uh, uh, Brenda, how about you? First thought. Oh, I, I agree. Uh, uh, to me, taking the first thought is perfectly possible, even if you do go back and edit for punctuation or, or correct a spelling, it's still a thought. So I don't, I, I guess I disagree that editing a very first thought is changing the thought because you may not be at all. You may simply be tweaking it so that it communicates better. To me, clarity is important and part of it's the purpose, clarity of the purpose of the poem. Why is this poem written? Why did this person write this poem? Do I know? Do I get uh, the reason for that? And sometimes you, you sit back and you do wonder, reading poetry, not necessarily for this competition, but in general, why in the heck did this person write this? So there is communication going on. And then again, there is this saying it the way that no one else has, or in a way that totally startles. Um, there's a Canadian a, a sonnet by a Canadian poet named Sharon McCartney, and I'm just going to read you three lines from it because it's about the death of a cat. Okay, so she's gone through all this. It's, it's sort of almost, almost it's macabre, but it's humorous about all of the things this cat is going through as it's dying, right? And it's a sonnet. And finally, she ends with by saying this: "Say it. Nothing will restore her health, and yet remark her purr, her carriage." how capably she embodies the state of our marriage. The whole poem's about a cat. And then, in that last line, it's almost like a punch to the gut because suddenly she takes this poem away from the whole feline sort of um, milieu and it becomes a marital poem. And then you go back and read it again. And it's amazing. You know, to me, that, that's the kind of startling thing. That if I see this in a poem, I just sit back and say, oh my you know, I would never have thought this. I love that one. When it happens, it's it's remarkable. And this was just so a, a thought. A, uh, this, this is really speaks back to something that, that, that you guys have mentioned, the, the surprise at the end of the poem, covering new ground. Uh, you know, there's something interesting and new that's, that's engaging. Um, well, listen, guys, we're, we're in the last 90 seconds of the show. I can't believe how quickly this has gone until we've, we've barely scratched the surface on what we could be talking about. Maybe... Uh, uh, ten seconds each. Uh, you got you got something you want to want to close with, uh, Sean? How about you? Um, I think I would probably just say that for this competition, it, try to put forward your best work because it, it one you're paying for it, but two, you know, you always kind of want to present your best stuff. I think maybe give it a little time to like like the other two poets have said to stew a little bit and you know try to present the best you can. That's what I mean. Jim, I'd say uh, if you can adaptive personality or an attitude or or a feel 
it, it seems to entrain the quality of the work too. It seems to drag it along a lot easier. It's, it's, it's less hard to fight for your quality when you when you're possessed by something. Nice. And Brenda, um, I, I would say, don't be afraid to enter this. Don't be afraid that just because maybe this is not going to be the most brilliant poem that ever crossed the monitor, that you shouldn't send it. Don't be afraid because, I mean, my first contest entries really tanked, but I kept at it and kept doing it because I thought I've got as much right to enter this as anyone else. Don't be afraid to do it. I I really encourage you, and, and I think it's a wonderful thing if you do submit an entry. So please have the uh have the faith in yourself to send it in. And at the very least you'll get back a lovely prize probably or a chapbook from someone else and it will open your mind to others writing. So just my my advice is go for it. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for spending part of your Sunday afternoon with us. Uh thank you so much Sean Lindsay, thank you so much Brenda Levy Tate, thank you so much Jim Knowles. Especially thank you for all the work that you uh, are doing and uh, will be doing through uh, through October. The deadline to enter the contest is October 2nd. Uh, go to PoetrySuperHighway.com, click on 2010 Contest for all the details on how to enter. And again, thank you all so much for being being uh, on the show today. Thank you, Rick. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. What a delight this has been. It has. Thank Indeed. you, Rick. Indeed, for me as well. Great to talk with you all. Our next show is going to be on August 22nd. It's the monthly uh, PSH Live Open Reading, where any of you will be invited to call in and read your poetry and uh, in an open reading format. Uh, after that, uh, there will be another one of those in September, and we will announce the winners of our contest again in another live broadcast on Poetry Superhighway Live on Sunday, October 18th at 2 p.m. Pacific. Have a wonderful rest of the afternoon, everyone, and good luck in the contest.